is Derek, 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 Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Experience! Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. I am your host, Derek Diamond. And if you haven't yet, be sure to check out last week's episode where you get to hear the Defending Bad Movies panel from Pensacon 2023 with myself, Jason Robbins, and Wally Phelps. Always a fun time hosting that panel. Unfortunately, we couldn't do it at Pensacon last year because of scheduling, but it was back this year and it was fun as it always is. You can check out that episode and the previous ones farther back in the archives of this podcast. Mentioning Pensacon, we're going to continue the Pensacon-related discussion this week on the podcast because you'll be hearing another panel that I got to host with independent film director James Kerwin. And I was really excited to be given the opportunity to host this panel because, as you know, filmmaking is a passion of mine. And as someone who has done a couple of shorts now and is looking to eventually make a feature film, it was great to pick James's brain about the transition of that and what it's like to be a director and is someone that you know wants to do that more. Great to pick his brain about that as well. We also had some great audience questions and also talked about the difference between being a director for hire and creating your own project. So if you're a fan of independent film, if you're a fan of the behind the scenes work of filmmaking, this will definitely be an episode that you will enjoy. And I want to thank uh, Steve Wise for giving me the opportunity to moderate this panel. And thank you to James for allowing me to uh, record this panel to use as the podcast. So without further ado, here is the Pensacon 2023 panel with James Kerwin. <laughs> So how's everyone doing? This is the, well, we're closing out Pensacon 2023 with us. Everyone had a good con? So who, who has been here all three days? Are you guys as tired as I am? <laughs> More or less? Cool. Well, this is a really special panel. This is a topic that I'm very passionate about, writing and directing independent film. And my guest today is a writer-director, Mr. James Kerwin. James, welcome to Pensacon. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. How, how has your time been here so far? We were talking backstage a bit ago. You got to see a little bit of the city. Yeah. You got to go to the beach. Yeah, I took Thursday. I went to the beach. It was uh, very, uh, very uh, the white, the sand is so white. It's crazy. Um, it's quartz, right? Is that what they said it is? It's, it's amazing. So spent Wednesday, uh, Thursday at the beach, and then yesterday I uh, went to the museums because I had the day off, so I, I went to the museums, toured around the historic district. Beautiful city. Like the Revolutionary War stuff that they have here, the, oh, amazing. So, well, no, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's, it's funny because it, out in Los Angeles, it's like blizzards and hail I know. and everything, <laughs> I know, right. and, and here it already feels like July. Yeah, it, yeah. It's just crazy. My sister lives in L.A. too, and she's telling me she's just like, it's winter storm here. And I'm like, ah, it's fine here. So. <laughs> Send a picture of you at the beach. Yeah. You know? So it's, yeah. yeah, so absolutely. So what's interesting about filmmaking is, and I say this ad nauseum, is that 
there's not really a how-to book. There's no. not really like a set way to no. get into film. So there's not. Tell me about your journey. What was it that inspired you to get into filmmaking? Okay, well, that's a good question. Okay, what inspired me to get into filmmaking, and this is the honest truth, is those two who are sitting in the panel over there, Colin and Nicola. I was a huge Doctor Who fan when I was growing up. Um, and as a little kid, Colin and Nicola were the doctor and companion when I was really getting into I mean, I saw Tom Baker's stuff, but I feel like I was a little too young to appreciate it. Uh, and then Davison, and then Colin, and then he, around the time that, that they were on the show, as everyone knows who's a Doctor Who fan, there was a lot of behind the scenes strife during the Colin Baker years. And Doctor Who had become so popular in the United States that we were getting that news over here. So we were well aware that it was kind of a mess behind the scenes. And I watched these episodes and I thought, this is, these two people are doing a great job with all of this turmoil behind the scenes. It's like, how is that? So I started thinking about the entire process and how if, if you're a solid actor, you can overcome behind-the-scenes turmoil, or maybe if you're a solid director, you could overcome actors who aren't that great. You know, I, I, and I started wondering about these kind of questions, like how the different pieces fit together. So that's, I think, when I really had the spark to decide that I want to go into that eventually. And I made, um, I mean, I'll admit, I made a Doctor Who fan film when I was a little kid. It's, you will not see it. It's on VHS, but you will not see it anywhere. Um, uh, but so that was, uh, it, it just, it really ignited my interest. And so when I went to college, I majored in film, film production. And uh, so that, that, was, that was why, that's the reason why. And it's interesting because, you know, they, they were backstage with us before they went to do their panel. And I didn't really grow up a Doctor Who fan, but you can feel the, the energy from them. Like when they walk into a room, it's mm -hmm. just like they, they grab your attention. They have that personality. So I, yeah. I definitely see where you're saying that, despite all the, the behind-the-scenes drama that there might be, that they still put on a great product yes. because of their right. talent. Exactly. Right, exactly, yes. exactly. Yeah. So what was it about directing specifically that it drew you to that part of filmmaking? Well, you're in charge. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly, that's, that's what it is. I mean, I, I looked at the different roles and writer, producer, director, actor, and I, I mean, I like acting. I did acting when I was in school, but I, I thought, well, I want to be the person who hires those people and tells them what to do. I don't want to be the person dependent on them to get hired. So that was really it. I, I think it was just like an, an, an incredible sense of uh, being a control freak. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And you're, you're also, in addition to directing, you're also a writer as well. Uh, what came first, the want to write or the want to direct? Uh, okay, well, uh, hmm, that's, the want to direct. When it comes to film, the want to direct. Um, I mean, like, like all kids, like I wrote little things when I was a little kid, like wrote stories, made up stories and things, but I never had an intention of being a writer as a career. Um, so directing is, is what I wanted to do. And I've written some of my stuff that I've directed. I've directed stuff that I haven't written, very different process. Um, but the directing came first. Yeah, that's, that's my true passion. And, and there's something that, you know, being a director is great because like you said, you get to be, you essentially get to be in charge, but it's also a very stressful, high pressure job or it can be because you're the one that has to make those tough decisions. Like say if you have to push something back or move something forward. Yeah. When you started directing, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome? 
and maybe like within yourself? Hmm. Um, God, it's, I mean, it's kind of like being the general of a small army, you know? I mean, because really everything is, does come down to you. If you screw up, it's your fault. If somebody under you screws up, it's your fault. Um, so uh, just kind of getting that sense of, hey, look, well, here's the other thing, is that you have to have a, a degree of confidence, but I think most artists don't have an enormous amount of confidence. That may be true, I don't know. Um, but I certainly didn't and probably still don't. Um, but you have to get past that, I think. I think that was probably the biggest challenge, is getting past any type of lack of self-confidence that you have. Um, because when you make decisions, you better be able, I mean, you, you have time in pre-production to make as many decisions as possible, and I highly recommend doing that if anybody wants to be a director. Spend as much time in development as you can, plan everything, but no matter how hard you plan, once you're there on set, there's gonna be curveballs thrown at you that you can't anticipate, and so you also have to be able to think on your feet, and that, that's a difficult thing for me too also, because I like having a lot of time to ponder something. So I, I would say those two things. Get overcoming self-confidence and being able to think at the spur of the moment were probably my two biggest challenges. It's like you plan and then you come up with a backup plan and you come up with a backup plan for the backup plan. And then you have to throw all those yeah, out. Yeah, and then you because, just... Yeah, right. Yep. And you just toss it out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, it's, it's not for everyone, but there, there is a certain feeling of... I won't say power, but a feeling of accomplishment mm -hmm. when, when you're a director. Especially when you have a cast and a crew that are just as passionate about the topic yes. or the, the story as you are. It's yes. really empowering. Yes. And if you find people that you click with, stick with them. That's a huge thing that, that people need to understand and some people don't. I, I mean, if you have actors that you work well with, keep using them. If you have crew members, department heads, producers that you work well with, keep working with them if you possibly can because that's golden. It really is. Absolutely. So backtracking a little bit, yeah. you went to college for film production. Yes. Once you're out of college, what was the next step for you? Were you getting into to shorts? Were you looking for local production work? What, what was your next step? Uh, I did a little bit of local production work, but the, you know, the thing is, is that if, if you're going into directing, starting out as a PA is not going to get you to be a director. It's just not going to happen. Um, you'll, you'll move up through the producerial ranks, which is second assistant director, which ironically has nothing to do with directing. That's a producerial position. Second AD, first AD, uh, UPM line producer, producer. Um, if you want to be a director, you kind of have to start directing, directing small things and then move on, moving on to bigger things. So yeah, I mean, I did student films and stuff like that. I did PA and grip on local productions in, um, in, in Dallas where I went to college at TCU. Um, but like I said, that doesn't really open a lot of doors for you. Um, you might meet people, but ultimately people have to see your work and trust you. So I would say do anything you can to get your own projects off the ground. I was very fortunate, um, there's a legendary indie film producer who died just a few years ago, Kit Carson, L.M. Kit Carson. Uh, he is responsible, he discovered Wes Anderson, he produced Bottle Rocket, uh, uh, David Holzman's Diary, Paris, Texas. Um, and uh, he kind of, I, I hate the word discovered because it's so pretentious, but he kind of discovered me um, when we were in Dallas and he produced my first feature, uh, my first short, which was called Midsummer, and he got uh, Domenica Scorsese, Martin Scorsese's daughter, to be the lead in it. Oh, wow. And um, so that was kind of my first major leap into filmmaking. It was called Midsummer. It was a, um, a psychedelic approach to Shakespeare, Midsummer Night's Dream. So, yeah. That was. How was the overall feeling of that when you're, you're on set, 
you're doing your first short. Walk me through your mindset of where you were at that time. I, I don't remember any of it because I was so stressed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, you're just going, 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 going. You don't have, uh, and, and it is kind of sad because I'd love to be able to say, oh, appreciate this. And one of the other producers, actually, it's funny you said that because one of the other producers on the show actually said, enjoy this. I was like, how can I enjoy this? This is, I'm like, this is, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I'm not exaggerating. It was just stress, 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 going, 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 going. But then when you're done, you have this tremendous sense of accomplishment, like you said, and you've got this product and you can look at it and say, oh, that, I made that. No, I made that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. It, it's interesting because you know, I'm, I'm sure you can look back at if you have behind the scenes photos mm -hmm. of that, yeah. that short, you're like, I don't right. remember. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So once, uh, so you, you make your first short and eventually you transition into doing your first feature film. What was the biggest, I want to say learning curve, but what was the biggest difference between doing a short as opposed to a feature? I'm, I'm going to give you an answer that's going to sound very flippant and it's not intended to be flippant. It's just longer. I mean, that's really, that's really the truth. There is no difference. I mean, the, the amount of planning, the amount of like the, the mindset that you have to be in, um, the attention to detail, the focus, the falling in love with the project as a director, all of those things are the same if it's a short or a feature. You better love it because you're going to live with it for a while. So um, it's just more. It's just it's the same, just more of the same, basically. Um, I didn't approach directing feature any differently than I approached directing shorts. Um, there's just more preparation in a longer shoot. That's really all there is. And, and when you made your first feature, uh, Yesterday Was a Lie, um, did you feel at the time like you, you had done shorts? Did you feel like you were ready to do a feature? Was that one of the biggest reasons why you did it? Yeah, well, I, honestly, there, I had a little bit of a detour in between um, okay. doing Midsummer and, and Yesterday Was a Lie. I, um, when I, I moved to Los Angeles, because Midsummer um, started playing in some film festivals, and it started getting a lot of attention. It won a lot of film festivals, and I got an agent through APA, and um, uh, so it was time to make the move to Hollywood, because... You know, there's only so much you can do in Dallas. So, uh, no, nothing wrong with Dallas. I lived there for a long time, but there, if you want to be a film director, um, maybe not the, the central place to be. Um, so I moved to LA and I got hired by a number of theater companies, including the Blank Theater Company, which was a great theater company run by Noel Wiley and Dan Daniel Henning. Um, at the time, not anymore. Um, but, uh, and so I actually found that theater company through Domenica Scorsese, because she was in a play there, went to see that play, and then they hired me, and so forth. So um, I, I directed theater for about five years, I'd say, when I moved to Hollywood. Three, three to five years, somewhere in that range. Um, and uh, I, so I, I enjoyed the long form, um, but I found theater, although I love it dearly, and I still do it from time to time, uh, I found it a little frustrating, because it is not the director's medium. Theater is an actor's medium. When the curtain goes up, you lose control. <laughs> the actors are going to do what they're going to do. You can't call cut. You can't change the lighting. You can't use a different take. It's, it's up to them. So I found that, a little again, the control freak in me found that a little frustrating. So um, I really wanted to kind of transition back into film, and that's why I decided to get my, get my first feature off the ground. Yeah. You actually answered my next question because I, I've spoken with many actors who have done theater and then gone on to film and TV, but you never really think of the director because, yeah, you're right, theater is like a movie without a safety net because exactly. one, once it starts, whatever happens on stage, mm -hmm. like you go with it. If you mm -hmm. make a mistake, 
you make it part of the show and then you just go on. Mm-hmm. So I, I can see how that can be frustrating as a, as a director. Yes, yes. And, and actually, one of the plays that I directed, um, uh, Amber Benson, who was uh, Tara in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who's also a writer, uh, she wrote a play uh, called Albert Hall that I directed. And the entire play kind of lampshaded all of, of the conceits of theater, and the play basically falls apart halfway through. And the actors start going off book, and the director comes down, and, it, and it's all staged, but the audience doesn't know this. So it's all about the audience reaction to what the hell is going on on stage. So that was very fun to do, very experimental. Right. Way. But yeah. Yeah, no, that, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. So talk to me about Yesterday Was a Lie. How did the idea come about, and how was your experience making your first feature film? Uh, you know, the idea, I don't know where it came from. I mean, I, I just I wanted to do a film noir that had some science fiction elements to it, but where Bogart was played by Bacall, basically, where there was a, a female lead. Um, and um, it just kind of took off from there. And uh, so uh, a producer that I had worked with in the past in Dallas, Sarah Bruce, um, she kind of, uh, uh, she called herself the grand- grandmother, fairy godmother of the project, I think she said. She kind of fairy godmother of the project through development. And um, it, uh, we cast it, um, Kipley Brown from Enterprise played the lead, and Chase Masterson from Deep Space Nine played the second lead. And then we wound up getting Peter Mayhew and a whole great, great cast of people. And um, again, it was like doing a short just longer. <laughs> it really was. I mean, it was, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, you know. But, um, and we didn't have a huge budget. I mean, we, have, we had a decent budget, but it wasn't huge. And uh, it was an enormous amount of work, but uh, partway through it got picked up by Entertainment One, which was at the time the biggest mini-major studio in the world. Um, and they picked it up. And so they gave us a nice release, played briefly theatrically, then went to home video. And then um, a couple of years ago was its 10th anniversary, and a small distributor called IndiePix bought the rights out uh, for it and did a 10th anniversary re-release on Blu-ray. So it's out on Blu-ray now. Yeah, so, yeah. How long did it take you guys to shoot? 26 days, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah, 26 days. Yeah, that's about what I would think for for a feature. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What was the biggest lesson you learned? on the set of Yesterday Was a Lie? Oh, biggest lesson I learned. Oh, okay, well this is a good one. Um, kind of like I was alluding to earlier, people that you work with, who you get along with, you want to stick with, that was a huge lesson. And um, just that personalities matter. Um, that was something that they don't really teach you necessarily in film school. Um, I think as a young director, and I'm guilty of this, you tend to get agitated by things and um, even, I don't mean like you lose your temper like screaming or yelling, there's no excuse for that, but like even just kind of being stern with people, that sets a tone, I've found, and you you can't do that, you know? There there has to be a degree of self-control. Even when you're extremely flustered and you're thinking, this project is gonna fall apart, I'm never gonna get this shot, we're not gonna make our days. Everyone's looking to you to be the kind of, the, the lead, their leader. I mean, that's what you are. And so you, 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 you got to get along with people, you know. And, and if there's people, and I also learned this, if there's people in your crew who are rubbing everyone else the wrong way, get rid of them. Get rid of them early on. It's not worth it. It's not worth having a, lo- a lengthy shoot with one or two bad apples 
uh, or even just apples who the other apples aren't getting along with. It, it just, just um, uh, uh, graciously say, you know, we're just going to buy you out of your contract and, and get someone else. You bring up a great point about everyone looking at the director as the leader. And no matter how frustrated you get, you know, for, for anybody who wants to be a director, if something irritates you, and there will be, mm -hmm. you, you got to keep it you got to yep. keep it in here because if it just comes out, and it, through, it, yeah, that's it right. trickles down to everyone. That's right. And it affects that's right. everything. That's so right. You're you're the captain. You're the quarterback. Whatever analogy you want to mm -hmm. use. So that's right. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with that. And and it is good to have like, you know, a dependable crew, as you mentioned. You know, find find people like a good cinematographer or a good editor mm -hmm. that you can call on because. Trust really goes a long way. Like if you have an editor that you can just hand something off to, and you, you know they're going to do great work with it, is invaluable to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same with actors too. Yep. The, the the difference between theater and film is you don't get rehearsal time in film. You 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 got to cast actors that you trust to bring, to bring their game, mm -hmm. their A game. Because um, you're not going to have it's. It's not your job as a director to be an acting coach, because and, and, you just don't have time. You can't just like coach someone through a performance and do a thousand takes unless you're Steven Spielberg or Stanley Kubrick or somebody like that who has an infinite amount of money. If you're on a tight shooting schedule and you're trying to make your days, you're, you're not going to get more than five, six, seven takes at most. And you can't, you can't be coaching people. you got to trust your actors. Cast people that you know are going to deliver what you need them to deliver and then let them deliver it. Absolutely. Uh, one of the topics that I've been excited to chat with you about, and we've been you know, talking through email about this, and uh, the difference between writing and directing for hire versus, say, making your own yeah. projects. So t talk to me a little bit about that. It's a, huge, it's a huge difference. And, I mean, there's different career paths that different directors have taken. And... You know, when you, when you direct for hire, um, you're, first of all, you're, well, you're going to make more money. <laughs> um, uh, you're probably going to join the DGA. You're probably going to get hired to direct TV series. And, um, but this isn't, these are not projects that you are conceiving yourself. These are other people's words. These are other people's ideas. These are other people's works. And you come on and bring a distinct vision to them. Now, I have done stuff like that. Um, Personally, I prefer the more auteur thing. Again, I hate that word because it's pretentious, but which all that basically means is that you, as the director, you're the author of the project. You conceived the idea. Um, whether you wrote it or in some cases co-wrote it with someone else or co-developed it with someone else, but it's, it's your thing, basically. Um, and I find it much easier to fall in love with something that I'm passionate about than something that someone else wrote. Now, I've never taken a job directing something that someone else wrote unless I've been able to fall in love with it, at least to some extent. Because that's the critical thing. Like I said, you're going to be living with it for a while. If you don't love what you're directing, it's, it's going to show. Um, but ultimately, you know, the, unless, again, unless you're Spielberg or Kubrick or Abrams or somebody like that, you're going to make a lot more, less money <laughs> as an auteur doing your own indie projects. But I think you have a little more fun. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, and I think it's also, you know, you, you're conceiving the idea. If you're a writer-director, it's your baby. It's your baby. You, you That's come right. up with the idea, and I, mm -hmm. you're automatically more invested in it. And like, I, you know, as a, I wouldn't be against taking someone else's idea and, you know, kind of putting my vision to it, making it my own. But it 
the writing part is so fun. Like yeah. the, the the idea making, the idea process mm -hmm. is so so mm -hmm. fun. So mm -hmm. you're right. You might make less money, but if you're happier doing it, that that amounts to something. Right. In my right. Opinion. And and I've even been in situations where I've had an idea. Oh, oh I want to do a film about this, and I've sought out scripts. I've sought. I, I've been like, okay, well, maybe I could do something in this genre in this. Uh, there's not any out there. Okay, damn it, I'm gonna have to write it myself. <laughs> you know, so then you wind up writing it yourself. So yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, is there a specific genre that you would one day like to work in that you haven't really dabbled in? Mm. Uh, historical, historical drama, maybe. Um, I, I, I've tended to do a lot of science fiction, and that was not by design. I've just wound up being hired to do a lot of science fiction, both in theater and film. Um, but I'm very fascinated by um, uh, history, um, more not ancient, but older history like ancient Egypt or ancient Rome, like that period of time. Um, that's fascinating to me. I would love to do something like that, but that's very expensive. True. <laughs> it is interesting, though, that you grew up a Doctor Who fan yeah. and you've worked in, in science fiction. Yes, so yes, all, I know, I know. It, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> for sure. Uh, does anyone have any questions that they'd like to ask? Sure. Um, the aspect of, I guess, can you answer it sort of? Do you, so you basically get to pick the content you want to direct, or do you actually seek out the content you want to direct? Because uh, I, I guess, I mean, because I'm thinking about funding and all these other things, how does all that come together? It, it's, there is, like, kind of like you were saying, there's no rule. There's no rule to how it comes together. Um, if you are a person who directs for hire, um, that means you're probably in the DGA, which is the Directors Guild of America, um, and you have an agent who tends to put you up for jobs. Um, so your agent will say, hey, here's this uh, te television series. Uh, you know, Star Trek Discovery is, it needs directors. I'm going to put you up for that show. Or Doctor Who needs directors. I'm going to put you up for that show. Or here's a feature film script that's been floating around Hollywood in different agencies. I think you might be a good match for that. Let's, let's see if uh, the studio will hire you to direct that. And th in those cases, the studio is putting all the financing together. Okay, that has nothing to do with the director. In the more auteur-based thing, which I've done, you're, you're basically, if you're writing your own project or you're commissioning your own project to be written, um, you're going to have to find producers who will provide the financing for that project. So that is going to fall, ultimately the producers do all the organizational work, but you're going to have to find the ones to team up with who believe in your vision as a writer-director to get you that financing, or you're going to have to get some of it on your own. So, yeah. Any other questions? I did want to ask, uh, as, a, as in the more Artur-based side of writing and directing, what is the biggest challenge of it as far as, is it raising funds? Talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, probably. Honestly, probably fundraising is the biggest challenge. Um, because if, if it's something that you want to do yourself, and really, really believe in, you're going to have to find money people, whether that's a traditional studio like Entertainment One, or whether it's private financing, or whatever it is, who believe enough in your project to put some money into it to be able to at least develop it, in which you can get even more money than after you've developed it and cast, started casting it. And, and attaching actors to your project helps. Um, if you can get letters of interest from actors, 
um, that winds up, and then you can go to financing people and say, hey, look, I've got this actor attached, this actor attached, semi-attached, it's a soft attach if it's a letter of interest. Um, but I, honestly, yeah, that's, that's, that's a lengthy process, man. It's hard, and, and it, like I studied directing in college, which is in one of the arts. I, I don't have any background in business. And they don't teach you that, you know? And so, like, if you're going into it trying to raise the money on your own, you, you have to kind of self-educate in how to do that because there is no rule book, you know? I, 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 everybody always says that, like, I went back to my old college and we're like, how do you get into directing? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, you just do. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and it's, talk to me about, so if, if say if you're finding investors, like you said, private funding, do you, do you already have the actors attached as like a selling point like oh i've got you know these three people involved to try and entice them more to to fund your film like talk to me about essentially coming up with a business plan for for your film yeah i mean part of it's y yes uh, uh, yeah i mean if, if you can get if you're friends with any uh, name or semi-name actors who are interested who, who who read your script and feel any type of connection to it, getting letters of interest from them absolutely helps. You can't sign them, you can't sign them to a SAG contract if you don't have any money yet. It's, right. You literally can't do that. So um, that's, the, it's, it's a chicken or the egg thing. It, it really is the oldest dilemma. It's like, how do you get the actors without the money? How do you get the money without the actors? And, and the, the answer is just connections. You have to have enough connections, enough people that you work with in the past that you can say, hey, I want you to be in this, can you do this? Or you have to have some type of rep reputation. And there are ways that you can, like, um, I did a web series called Star Trek Continues. I was the main director on that web series. And um, because people were familiar with that franchise, and it was completely nonprofit, but uh, we were able to go on like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and crowdfund, it, and crowdfund that show. So crowdfunding, um, and actually it's gotten a little more difficult lately once, now that everyone's doing it, but uh, crowdfunding is actually really helpful uh, for indie film. And even if you don't get all of your budget, you can at least get some development money. So that's, that's, not, that's nothing to sneeze at, you True. know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with you that that should be taught in college, in, in yes, school. Yes, yeah. Because like, we were having this discussion in the previous panel I was doing. There's the creator side, the creative side, and the business side. Mm -hmm. And it's like a symbi symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And a lot of people on both sides, like they don't get that. Like the creators just want to create, the business people just want to make money. Mm -hmm. But it, you gotta, you have to have at least an understanding of both yes. in order for it to work. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yep. I got another question for you. Now you said you did, I guess your first films back when you were at, at TC. I, I, I did a student film when I was a TC. Okay. And, and, and did, that, did that progress into your short film or there's short film done there? Because I don't know how you back. Oh, no, no. Uh, I, I had just done a student feature as my thesis when I was in college. That's, that's all that was. Um, uh, the short film that I did was about four years after I graduated, the one that Kit Carson executive produced. Um, and that was basically just through um, contacts that I had made in the local Dallas film industry. Um, like when I was at TCU, I interned on another project and the producer on that project knew Kit Carson through something else. And it was just, it's just, I mean, these, you know, 
know, it, it's all like these crazy little symbiotic, like butterfly effect type relationships, you know, and like, oh, if I hadn't met that guy at that party, then I would have never known that person, never met that actor and attached them. It's, it really is so much of it is luck. And don't let anybody tell you it's not because there's, there's this thing in Hollywood, it's like, oh, you know, there's no undiscovered talent. There's tons of undiscovered talent that just weren't fortunate, that weren't in the right place or the, at the right time. So there really is a lot of undiscovered talent out there. Don't let anybody tell you there's not. No, timing is everything. It, it is. It's, it's, you never know when you're just going to be in the right place at the right time, meeting the right, right person that says, hey, I can help you with this. Right. You, you have to, you, you, uh, and I don't mean to say you don't have to be, you have to be talented. You, you have to have the talent. And that can be lost. That can be grown. Like you can go to film school. You can learn the craft. You can learn the art. Um, if you don't feel like you're innate, you innately have those skills, you can learn those skills. So you have to have that. You also have to have stick-to-itiveness. You have to have an enormous amount of dedication and patience. Um, and very thick skin. Very thick skin. Like, like um, uh, Nicholas Meyer, who directed Star Trek II and Star Trek VI, and time, yeah, um, all, all these amazing films, um, he said once that somebody, uh, somebody asked him, after you move to Hollywood, how long does it take to direct your first feature? And he said, at least 10 years. Now think about that. That's, and that's exactly how long it took me. I, my first feature was released exactly 10 years after I'd moved to Hollywood. So uh, you have to stick it out. I mean, you really have to have that. But then you do also have to have luck. You have yeah. to. And I also think the networking part is important as well right. because you, you have to... That shapes your luck a little bit. You can, yeah. you can shape your luck a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can... Yeah. You can yeah. Kind of mold it in your to work to your advantage, but you have to put yourself out there with other filmmakers or you know other aspiring actors, directors, because you never know where you're going to meet that one person that has that connection. Exactly, that's, lead that's you right. To your career, that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, um, anybody have any other questions? So I'm a film student right now, and you've already answered this a little bit, but I was wondering if you had any further advice for like after you graduate, like getting started in... What do you want to do? Um, I would love to direct, but at this moment in time, I'd really take anything I can get. Decide what you want to do. <laughs> Honestly, no, I'm, I'm being very serious. Like, decide what you want to do. Um, because there are so many different disciplines in filmmaking, and those paths do not intersect. Like I was saying before, if you start as a PA, you're going to move up to second, 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 first UPM producer. That's it. And you're not going to direct. Um, if you start as a grip, you're going to work up through the electrical department or through the grip department. You may get into camera operation. You may get into lighting. If you want to be a cinematographer, definitely focus on that. Focus on camera. But if you want to be a director, you've got to start directing small things. There is no other shortcut path to being a director. So um, I would say focus because kind of like you were alluding to, for better or for worse in the industry, the industry is very compartmentalized. You don't cross over between positions. Um, it's very different, like my brother-in-law is in the music industry and um, if I'll go to a gig with him or something, uh, like I see everybody doing everything. I'm like, wow, the music, everybody does, it. he's like, yeah, you, we know how to play, we know how to play, we know how to wire this up, we know how to cable this up, we know how to mix this, we know, Film is completely different. It is, I mean, you're, and you're going to get compartmentalized in whatever you do. So really pick what you love and just focus like 100% on that. That would be my best advice. Cool. Any other questions? 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm interested in your experience. You've begun to talk about this, or I'm sorry, I came in a few minutes late to me and already said it. Uh, are there some, um, I know there's some actions that have more payoff than others. I mean, some things you learn along the way that, oh, if I spend my time here, uh, are, there, are there resources that you could point us to uh, for our independent filmmakers that want to be producers? Well, for an independent producer, you want to go into producing or? Or yeah, independent filmmaker, just to kind of, uh, it's sort of an encore thing. Uh, but I'm interested in uh, small films, independent films, and making them and producing. Where are you based out of? Uh, here in Atlanta. Oh, in Atlanta. Okay, well, that's a good place to be. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Atlanta is very much a third, a third coast, although it is on the coast. So, it's, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, if you want to get into any type of major filmmaking, you've got to be in L.A., New York, or Atlanta at this point. Uh, that's just the reality of it. Um, Atlanta is a wonderful city for filmmaking. There's an enormous amount of filmmaking there. Um, if you want to go into indie film specifically, is that what you're saying? Okay, um, if you want to go into indie film specifically, as a producer, I would say start seeking out, um, I mean, there's all sorts of online, I know this sounds cliched, but there's all sorts of online groups, Facebook groups or Reddit or wherever, where you can seek out scripts um, that you may be interested in, in producing. I mean, I, yeah. yeah. We had, like my, I was working with my nephew on a small film a couple of years ago. We had, we had a blast making and learned a lot on the way. And he had heard about a book called Producer to Producer. It was sort of like a total guidebook from a producer. Okay. And I figured you have uh, that kind of knowledge. You might, you might have two or three books like that in you already. <laughs> I'm interested in teasing out some of your process or things you, if you were teaching me or something, and say, yeah, kind of make sure you hit this checklist. I mean, I know it's not a roadmap because it's, it's all over the place. Sure. But there's some things you kind of have done over the years that have been consistent. Sure, sure. I, I, I mean, I would honestly say, first of all, read those books because, no, seriously, because reading, um, reading up on books on filmmaking and independent filmmaking and independent production, financing, all those things, man, that's, that's really important. I mean, if you, if you go to film school, that's always a plus. You don't have to. If you haven't gone to film school, you've got to have that inherent, inherent knowledge. You've got to know the way the industry works. So read, 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 read as much as you can, whether it's books or websites or whatever you can get your hands on. No film school, but it's a web a, a series kind of thing. Look up, look, look up no film school, you know, and um, just learn, uh, learn as much as you can about the process that way, but ultimately you're gonna have to make it happen for yourself. You know, that's the thing. No one is gonna come and say, here, make this. You have to make it, and you just have to get into that mindset that you're gonna make it happen on your own. Yeah. Any other questions? Oh, um, what's your process with writer's block? I'm sorry? Writer's block, like how do you get overridden? Ooh. Um, I wait, honestly, I do. I wait until it's gone. Um, uh, fortunate, I'm, I'm fortunate in the sense that I haven't written for hire. I haven't been on, on a deadline for anything. If you're on a deadline, it's very different. Um, if you're writing for a television series and you have to turn in a draft at a certain point in time, the only way you can really overcome writer's block then is just keep writing. Just write, if, if you have to write gibberish, write gibberish. Just seriously, write your thoughts, just type your thoughts, type anything, and eventually it will start flowing. But for me personally, if I find that I have some type of block in something that I'm trying to do, um, I just, and, and I'm not on a deadline, I wait till the block's gone.
and it will come to me like in the shower or something, or in a dream or something like that, you know? So um, I would say one of those two things, either just wait it out or just punch through it. It's usually where the best ideas come from. In the shower. shower. In the shower or dreams. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. You just wake up and just... Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Uh, did you have a, uh, I think you probably have more than one, a moment where you were saying, wow, I can't believe this is happening. Or you're caught up in that, and what you were pursuing in your career, like, wow. Um, I would, uh, yes, I would say that when Yesterday Was Like came out, and I walked up to the local theater in Los Angeles, and I bought a ticket at the box office to my own film, that was kind of, that was a pretty cool experience. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was it right there. Did yeah. you keep the ticket? Oh. I probably, probably somewhere. I think I did. I yeah, think a, I did. It's, it's got to yeah. be somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any other questions? We've got, uh, we've got a few minutes left. I'm going to go back to your, your first small short film that you did. Um, what year was that that you did that? I, 99. Yeah. What kind of budget did you have at that time? 75,000. Yeah. Well, it would take a lot less now because back then there was always the cost of film uh, and now you can shoot things digitally and you do shoot things digitally and I recommend shooting things digitally. I'm not a film snob at all, um, but back then the cost of 35 millimeter film, processing 35 millimeter film, the development, the printing, and we had a lot of visual effects, so printing visual effects, are 30, oh my god, it's so expensive. So that movie would have been a third of the budget if we shot it today. Yeah. yeah. That's insane. I know. 75 I know. grand. I have to ask, has anybody seen Star Trek Continues, the web series? Any Star Trek fans here? Okay, TOS fans? Any TOS fans? Original series? Okay, so check it out. StarTrekContinues.com is a web series that I was the director on. Uh, I directed most of the episodes. I co-wrote almost every episode. Um, and it picks up where the last episode of the original series left off and finishes the original series. Um, and Paramount let us do it. It was, during, it was between when Enterprise was canceled and Discovery started. And they said, we'll give you, you can go ahead and do this. And uh, it is very high production values. Everyone on the production in front of and behind the camera, uh, and the department heads at least, were Hollywood industry professionals. So it's a fan film that was made by fans who happened to be industry professionals. And it really, I'm very, very proud of it. I can't take all the credit for it. It was made by you know, a, a group of dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Um, it, it really does take a village for things like that. But I'm very proud of it. So if you haven't seen Star Trek Continues, check it out, StarTrekContinues.com. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in closing, uh, where can where can people find you online? Are you on social media? You have a website? I'm a her no, I have not. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, James Kerwin, just jameskerwin.com. K-E-R-W-I-N, and Twitter, I'm James Kerwin, Facebook, I'm James Kerwin, and I think Instagram, I'm the James Kerwin or something, because some jerk took James Kerwin for me. But, always, always somebody. But, uh, yeah, but you can just, just go to jameskerwin.com, there's links to all my social media from there, and uh, there's also a link to my next project, I'm in development on a film right now called Contra Coup, which is a psychological science-based mystery. Uh, about a man who's finding his entire world, every, all the details in his world are wrong, uh, and he has no idea why. Um, Rika Sharma is attached to that, Rika Sharma from Battlestar Galactica and Discovery and Yellow Jackets, if you know her. Um, and uh, so we're, uh, we've raised most of the financing for that. We're just finishing up trying to raise the remainder of the financing, and hopefully we'll shoot soon. Um, but that's linked from my website, too, so you can look at that. So.
There you go. Fantastic. Well, let's give James a round of applause thank you for coming guys. out to Pensacon. Thank James, you so thank much you so for much. being here. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Thank you, guys, and enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you again to James Kerwin for that awesome conversation. It was great getting to moderate his panel at Pensacon, and who knows, maybe we'll have him back on the show again someday to talk about some of his other upcoming projects. Next week is the nine-year anniversary of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, and technically the show's been podcasting for eight years because I took really all of 2022 off, but it was nine years ago next week that the first episode of the show was launched, so I thought it would be fun to do another AMA and Ask Me Anything type of show, and it will be live on YouTube this upcoming Sunday, March 12th at 7 p.m. Central Time, so you can go to youtube.com slash Podcast. be sure to subscribe, and you'll get to watch the episode, and then the audio version will be out the following day for those that prefer that. And I won't just be talking about movies. You can literally ask me anything you want, and we'll have a fun chat. I always like doing live shows, love the interactions, whether it's you know an Ask Me Anything or a Top 5, anything like that. So it should be a really fun discussion. Again, that will be this upcoming Sunday, March 12th at 7 p.m. Central Time. If you want to check out past episodes of the show, the best thing to do is head over to linktree.com slash ddiamondpodcast. It's where you can find where to subscribe to the show, the link to the YouTube channel, social media. Everything is at one location, linktree.com slash ddiamondpodcast. So that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to James Kerwin, and we'll see you guys back here this Sunday on YouTube for another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. <music>